Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. The monthly September 2020, our topic tonight is Santarans. I've got a lot to say, Rob, I'm sure you've got a lot to say. We've had a lot of fantastic listener feedback for this one. I think we're going to have a really good discussion. Rob, how are you? Dave, I am, I'm kind of buzzing because in the last half an hour, I have won something on eBay. It is my all-time Doctor Who grail item for, I don't know, 30 years, more. Go on. It is the fine art castings, busts of the six Doctors, as they were at the time, Hartnell through to Colin Baker, and the corresponding villain set, Celestial Toymaker through to Sill. I can't believe I now own these. Well, they're not here yet. They've got to arrive from the UK. But this is what I've always wanted since I was 10, 11 years old. It is the one Doctor Who thing that's always eluded me. I barely see them for sale, particularly the villains set. And I got them for cheaper than I was prepared to pay. Congratulations. That is a very, very cool thing. It's one of those wonderful things, I think, about the modern era, that there are these things that you wanted as a kid and you couldn't afford them or in our case you couldn't get them out from the uk yeah and you know it just wasn't possible but now you can and sometimes it's hard sometimes it's rare but yeah well done thank you very much it it's kind of sad in a way because that's probably the last thing on my on my list (laughs) that i ever wanted now i now i own it (laughs) i'm sure you'll think of something (laughs) i'm sure i will anyway that was beyond news beyond many topics that was just me uh being self-indulgent for a moment no no with with good cause with good cause and hopefully that buzz will carry through to our sontaran conversation indeed which which is you know it's, it's a lot i've got i've got pages and pages of notes on this one so uh, let's get into the show, but we'll start, as always, with news. I'm going to lead us off here because we've had real, genuine, actual big news, mm-hmm. and that is confirmation, official, I believe, BBC and Primature confirmation that the new season of Doctor Who is to start filming next month. Mm-hmm. However, because of the COVID requirements and social distancing, which clearly would just delay the way that you film a piece of TV, I can just imagine... As we've discussed before, Rob, how, how does costuming work? How does makeup work? How does hair work? Um, you know, how many people can you have doing the the sound? You know, holding the um, those big microphone things, mm-hmm. the boom mics. Yeah. You know, it, it must be a complicated thing. So they're saying at the moment, release twenty twenty two. Yeah, and that's that's where I come in, Dave, because it's it's hard to comment on this without sounding like a dick. You know. <laughs> Well, do your best. <laughs> because I've always had and still have a beef with the way Chibnall's come to the role of showrunner. Oh, I don't want to do a Christmas special. Oh, I need extra time for the first season. Oh, I need more time for the next season. Oh, I need even more time for my third season. Then COVID came, and what was going to be a stupidly long wait is now going to be even longer. And obviously COVID's a big issue. It's killed so many people. I have no beef with that. You know, I have no issue with anyone in any profession having been stopped by it it's a it's a real thing but it does come on top of a showrunner who couldn't seem to get his house in order even pre-pandemic you know you just compare him to what russell t davis did it's it's night and day uh so now we do have this huge wait until 2022 and so it's partly covid's fault but it's also partly chibnall's fault as well because he just wasn't making the show fast enough yeah look I think that it is a big shame for the show, and particularly for Jodie, that her era, whether it's three seasons or it goes on to be four or five, Mm. is just going to be spread out over so long. Jodie has had, 
I think because of a number of factors, not least as we've discussed, Chibnall's writing, she has had a harder time than most modern doctors really embedding herself into the psyche of the public um, and certainly of fandom. That has been made particularly hard because there's so little of her in, in a compressed amount of time. Uh, this is not going to help that. Look, do I care that much? No, there's so much good television now via mm. so many methods that I, I, I don't miss Doctor Who when it's not on. My my days are filled with that new series of Doctor Who. I think it's a shame for Jodie, though, but it is what it is. Uh, the other important point, though, Rob, yes. official confirmation that the season will star Jodie Whittaker and Mandeep Gill, full stop. Yeah, which, which we basically knew, uh, right? But it's official now. I think we knew that Bradley Walsh and Tosin Cole were not coming back. What was open to speculation was that there may be a third companion or a third regular joining the team. So it would be Jodie and Mandeep and. But this would seem to imply that it is Jodie and Mandeep stop. For now. For now. So maybe they're, they're holding over the announcement of a new regular or semi-regular. I, I hope they are. I would like to see a new character come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the moment, they're if that's the case, they're holding their powder dry. But... At least the new series is about to start rolling. Yeah, exactly right. And a few other shows that I follow uh, have started rolling too in recent weeks. Like Riverdale, for example, is now back in, in production. So things are happening out there. Yeah, they, they are. Hollywood is starting to churn out stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, you have a piece about uh, well the last season, I guess you could say. Yeah, I do. Uh, this is related to the Doctor Who 2021 annual I've stopped buying the Doctor Who annuals in recent years because they were just becoming thinner and thinner and just having just garbage inside. But apparently in the 2021 annual, there's a story where the uh, the Doctor is talking to the Sasha Dewan master and there's some lines that run, I quite liked you as Missy. At least she wanted to change to be a better person. She spent too long in your company, Dr. Dewan's master replies, a mistake I don't intend to repeat. And now on face value, you think, oh, yes, so what? But this actually seems to confirm that the Sasha Dewan master comes after Missy, because for the longest time now online, people have have actually wanted Missy to have been the last master. And, you know, Johnson killing her was him killing himself, and that was the end of the master. And any masters we see now are from, I don't know, alternate dimensions, or they came before the Missy master. But this seems to say that, hey, this master comes after Missy. And, you know, I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, I know it's an annual too. I know people can write it off. It still has to go through sign-off, though, through the BBC. So, you know, someone's approved this. I've always worked on the assumption that the master was basically linear in his relationship with the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm not particularly shocked. And, look, it, it is a kind of trope of the character that... He always comes back, you know. Yeah. So you escaped from Castrovelva. Um, oh, you got burned to a crisp, but you're back next year. You know, yeah. that's that's what the master does. Yeah, and I remember saying that to people on Twitter over the last six months. But some people still want to believe. They want to believe Missy dying, no Tardis. That that's the end. That was the end we saw. You know, it's, I don't think so. No, and look, I never really bought into the Missy redemption arc. Anyway, I always thought it was a bit manipulative and didn't trust her. So. I'm not fussed, but, but yes, I do know that a lot of people really latched onto that, so uh, that's interesting. Uh, oh. I've got a bit of offbeat news here, Rob. Yeah. Uh, so I was checking out the New Zealand Herald 
uh, last week, just checking out how things were going over in the election over there. And mm-hmm. in the unlikely event, he's listening. Shout out to my friend Liam, who's a candidate down in Dunedin. Good luck on the election. Um, <laughs> but I saw an article there with a picture of Doctor Who's Bradley Walsh. Mm-hmm. And it said that the BBC is planning to reboot Blankety Blanks. And Bradley Walsh has basically been given first refusal, if you like, to host it. Rob, do you remember Blankety Blanks? Oh, Dave, Blankety Blanks has a rich history in Australia. <laughs> of course, we, we sort of invented it. Well, we ripped off a 60s US show called Match Game. And we invented this thing called Blankety Blanks. The Brits liked it so much that they took it and ran with it. And I think since then we've had three versions of it. And I think the Brits have probably had similar. Absolutely. I mean, it's remembered here as sort of the, the golden age of um, panel comedy in Australia, hosted by Graham Kennedy. And I saw a few of those a few years ago on sort of Channel 4007 or something, <laughs> um, filling in time. And, and they are actually really fun to watch. They're pretty risque. They are. And look, I've certainly seen the clips on YouTube of, for example, Kenny Everett's appearances on Blankety Blanks. Um, and certainly I remember Graham in The Goodies would send up Blankety Blanks on a couple of occasions. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a big, big part of um, that sort of era of television. I, I'm a bit of a fan of it. We used to play it at the Doctor Who Club. Blankety Blanks was sort of one of those convention games that you'd play, and that got very risque, I've got to say. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and, yeah, look, I think that... Sounds delightful, and um, I would actually check out Bradley Walsh hosting Blankety Blanks. I hope he says yes. I think he's got that cheeky sort of persona that would suit it to a T. Yes, um, whether it would be quite as risque as um, <laughs> as nineteen seventy eight, yeah, <laughs> with was it Peter the Phantom Puller and um, Cecil oh, and all of those, yes. Cyril, 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 I think. that's it. Yeah, Cyril, Cyril yes. says, yeah, Cyril says, yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, a last piece from Europe. Yes, moving on. We're a week off this news being two months old. Um, and we even did a Chris Eccleson special last month. You might think, well, why didn't we mention it then? But it just didn't make the cut. Because Dave, we're fallible, is the reason. Yeah, look, Dave, I'm, I'm very excited for this, which is the return of Christopher Eccleson, the big finish, of course, if people don't know what we're talking about. Four box sets they're going to put out starting uh, in May 2021. I'm very excited, albeit with one big reservation, and that's that I want this to pad out that first season we saw with Eccleston and Billy Piper, maybe with Jack Harkness, and just maintain that magical feel of that first series. Not be, oh yeah, years before Rose, he did all this other stuff with a bloke called Bernard. or You, you know, I, yeah. I, I hate that sort of thing in general, and I would particularly hate it here because the whole point of him being newly regenerated and having PTSD and meeting Rose and going on that arc and becoming, you know, a better person, that all happens in that series. I don't think you can say, oh, yeah, he had all these jolly japes for years before, you know, any of that happened. It just doesn't fit. So I really hope they're getting Billy Piper back and that's yet to be announced or something. And I really hope they just set it in that first series. I know it's constricting in some ways, but I think it's how they've got to do it. Dave, what do you think? I am more curious about this than I am about most big finish announcements Mm. Um, because I am, as we discussed in a recent episode, a big fan of Eccleston and his era. I think like you, I would just want some good fun stories. Um, I'm not particularly interested in the box set where the Doctor has to fight off against um, four different incarnations of the Master and Davros <laughs> set in the, the Gallifrey's past with, you know, the recast Brigadier. You know, like, yeah. that, that doesn't interest me at all. 
I won't rush out and buy these things because I don't rush out and buy any big finish. But if people like you that I think are more excited and will rush out tell me it's worth checking out, I will at least check out some of it. Um, but yeah, look, a big coup for big finish. You can't take that away from them. Yeah, and, and I'm just really pleased personally to see Chris Eccleston continue to sort of be embraced by Doctor Who and come back into the fold. You know, I think it's just really nice. Yeah, absolutely. No, look, and, and if that leads to uh, more interviews with him or box set commentaries or convention appearances, uh, that's a really positive thing. Yeah, excellent. Many topics are off. We've only got some very mini ones this time. A few things to mention in passing, really. But uh, you're kicking us off with, uh, well, more Big Finish. Yeah. <laughs> Big Finish, but not as you know it. Well, not as most people know it. Big Finish used to publish books back in the day. They used to publish the Short Trips books, uh, these lovely hardbacks. And then eventually the, the license for that particular sort of publishing got lost and they just did audio and whatever happened, happened. I've been slowly collecting these. There's about 29 out there. I currently have 12 of them. They're pretty expensive. I think the cheapest ones you can find as an Aussie are between about 12 and 30 bucks, but generally you're going to pay 40, 50, sometimes even more for some of the rarer ones. And I know I started this episode talking about buying things, so I'll be very brief here. I'm just really excited about collecting this set because it's a slow burn. There are some awesome authors, just about anyone who's anyone who's ever written for Doctor Who has written short stories in these hardbacks. They're really nice things. It's why they're so popular. It's why they're so expensive. And uh, hopefully one day I'll have the set, but it's going to take a while. Oh, that's very cool. I have got some of the Big Finish Blake 7 books. Oh, yes. But I have to admit, I haven't got any of the Doctor Who ones. No. Are, are, they, are they sort of Target book vibe or are they BBC book vibe? Where, where, where's the sort of pitch of these things? I'd say they're more BBC book vibe. Yeah, right. Yeah, a bit, bit more adult, but, um, you know, not completely. Fair enough. I've also been doing some buying. I think a lot of people have in the uh, last few months. Yeah, what uh, else is there to do? That's That's right. Uh, I I listened to our friends over at the Diddly Dum podcast mm-hmm. did a double episode on the DWM comics, and I have spoken before about the compilations that Panini have been putting out, and I've bought three more of these, um, covering basically the rest of the McCoy era, uh, including Nemesis of the Daleks, which I hadn't read before. I was surprised to realise, mm-hmm. um, and also going into that post McCoy era where they sort of realized they couldn't do 20 years of just McCoy and started bringing back all the previous doctors. So there was a Hartnell story. Uh, Gareth Roberts wrote uh, a Davison story. There was a Troughton story um, before finally sort of building up to um, the start of the new series and regenerating McCoy, writing out Ace. So I've, I've bought a whole bunch of them that go up there. These are lovely, lovely pieces of merchandise. They are you know, heavy, glossy paper. They've got background notes about the different comics. Um, it's from sort of my era of, of, of comics when I was a teenager and collecting DWM. Um, just really lovely things to have. And, you know, they appreciate very well. I don't know whether they do them in, in small runs or what, but I've tried to go back and buy things like Voyager, which is, you know, a few years earlier, which is more my era of Doctor Who monthly comics. And I've only found very, very expensive examples of it. So I think you're doing well to buy them as they're coming out. Um, Otherwise, they'll be just silly in years to come. Yeah, and they are now moving on to sort of the Matt Smith era and that sort of thing. I think they're doing some of those. So um, not, not really for me, but I'll be working through these and having a good nostalgic burst, I think. 
Very nice. Uh, moving along, uh, Mike Solko. Hello, Mike is one of our listeners. He's also been a, a co-host at times. Uh, he recently got Colin Baker to do a lovely cameo video for him. Do you know cameo videos, Dave? Uh, yes, I have seen one that a friend of mine got Brendan Nicholas from Buffy to do for his sister's birthday. So, yes, I am familiar. Ah, very good. Well, Mike got one of these from Colin. And, you know, Colin's talking about how he can't travel around to conventions at the moment. There's COVID. And he talks about a few other things. It's it's a lovely video for Mike. And Mike shared it with the world. And I, I watched it and I thought, yeah... What a lovely man Colin Baker is, you know. Of course, I recently watched The Two Doctors because we're doing a Sontaran special tonight. So I've recently watched some Colin Baker, saw him do this cameo. Yes, he does the part on screen, you know, quite panto and, and big and the material he got at times wasn't that good. But I thought, oh, even if he wasn't quite the right doctor in the right outfit at the right time, what a lovely man he is. And, uh, you know, ah. Uh, it's not really a mini topic almost. It's just me sort of waxing lyrical about Colin Baker. He's he's a good guy. <laughs> and I just wanted to say that on the podcast. He really is an absolutely lovely guy. I've met him a couple of times. Each time he's made a point of actually having a real conversation. The first time I met him, I was wearing a polo shirt that had um, a Australian Rules Football Club logo on it from the team I follow. And it said established um, 1864. And he looked and said is that a sport team from 1864, like a football team? And I said, yes. And he's, he started talking about, you know, I didn't realise that football in Australia was so old and, and all the rest of that. And there was another occasion where my friend Richard and I were manning a club table at a local professionally run convention that had four doctors, four classic doctors. Wow. And we were right next to the lift that, that would come down from their hotel to the convention room. And so all of them had to walk past us. The only one that made a point of stopping, making our contact and coming over and saying, oh, hello, I'm Colin Baker, nice to meet you, was Colin Baker. Wow. Yeah, says says a lot. It, it really does. He's a genuinely nice guy. So, yeah, that's that's nice that he's doing that for fans. I'm, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, so thank you for getting that uh, cameo, Mike. I enjoyed watching it too. <laughs> On to a new series, Doctor. Look, very quickly, I don't know if you've heard about this, Rob, but I've watched all three episodes now of the miniseries Des, starring David Tennant. Mm. And I sat down with the intention of watching one episode. Uh, I ended up watching two and a half before I thought, no, it is midnight, I must go to bed. <laughs> because it was just so engaging. But Tennant is extraordinarily good in that part. You know, this is this is Tennant bringing all the acting skills that we know he has. Um, it reminds me, going right back to his early work when he played that murder and the bill uh, when you play that patient in taking over the asylum when I first sort of remember knowing who this David Tennant guy was mm. it is really really good Rob have you heard of it seen it oh look I, I've heard of it and I've seen the picture of him he's got a terrible haircut in it. look I know it's the haircut that the real guy had but uh it's, it's, I, it's I a serial it, killer though. haircut yeah I haven't seen it though but it sounds awesome yeah it's not what I expected um it's it's actually about the arrest and then the interrogation and the trial of Dennis Nilsson rather than him committing the murders. Mm. Um, so it's a very different perspective and that really allows Tennant to get a lot of screen time. It, it's an extraordinary performance. He's going to win awards for this. Uh, I don't know which, but he will win awards for this. And, you know, it's it's grim material, but it's not done in a grisly way. Mm. Uh, so it's very, very easy to watch. And, yeah, thoroughly recommend if you can watching that. Fantastic. Well, look, that brings us to the end of mini topics and the news. 
Dave, shall we get on to Sontarans? So, Rob. Yes, Dave. Why are we discussing the Sontarans? Look, we from time to time we discuss what we're going to do in the months ahead. And I was keen to do this one. I, I don't know about you. I, I know we both agreed on it. But for me, they're not one of the big two with the Daleks and Cybermen, but they're still up there. And, you know, so although this could have maybe been a Sea Devils and Silurians episode, I think they're on the same footing as them. And I just kind of had this gut feeling that I wanted to talk Sontarans because maybe they're not spoken about on a lot of podcasts even. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to think if, if any of the podcasts I listen to have really spoken about them. I don't think they have. Yeah, they seem to be a little bit forgotten, which is extraordinary mm. when you actually think about their contribution to the show. Now, yep, you have the Daleks are sort of the, the accepted number one Doctor Who recurring monster and some Cybermen are accepted number two. But after that, there are actually very few classic series returning monsters. And I think that the Sontarans are the only ones that get to come back not just four times, which the Ice Warriors do as well, but four times over 11 years with three different Doctors in very different circumstances. You know, the Autons only get two shots and it's with one Doctor. The Yeti, two shots, one Doctor. The Mara, two shots, one Doctor. But actually being brought back again and again and again over a long period and then stretching into the wilderness years where they are very important and then to come back in the new series where Russell T Davies had this thing of I'm going to bring back a big classic villain every season and the first was the Daleks the Mm -hmm. second was the Cybermen the third was the Master gets to series four and it's the Sontarans they are the next one that he wants to bring back so they do seem to have a really big claim to being the number three recurring monster in Who, mm. but don't kind of really feel like they're up on the pedestal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite interesting. And look, I thought before we go any further, I'd read from the Book of Russell, also known as the Doctor Who Encyclopedia by Gary Russell. Uh, for those of you out there who want a quick rundown of the Sontarans, cloned warrior species from the planet Sontar, the Sontarans numbered their forces in the millions, with thousands of new cloned warriors hatching every few minutes. The Sontarans had been at war for millennia with the Rutan host and were bred for war and nothing else. Dying in battle was the ultimate honour, and without honour, Sontarans saw no point in existing. Each Sontaran only had one weakness, the probic vent on the back of their armour, through which nutrients were fed. If struck, this could stun and immobilise a warrior, meaning that a Sontaran trooper would never turn his back on an enemy. Because of their love of war, the Sontarans were devastated to be ostracised by those involved in the last great time war. That's very up to date. Here endeth the reading. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It covers some things that I'm going to be talking about as we sort of get to their appearances. But the last thing I do want to say is the opening is, like the Daleks and like the Cybermen, they do have a very recognisable image and a very memorable image to the point that I think that first reveal of the Sontaran, particularly when Lynx removes his helmet in the Time Warrior, is, I think, considered an iconic image, an iconic moment of the show. Yeah, well, look, like we say, they aren't Daleks or Cybermen, but they've had such a good run in New Who. And while I say that, they've only got one real proper story, but they have loads of mentions and cameos. And, of course, the Strax character is part of all these other stories. So they're sort of like wallpaper now, even to New Who fans. They aren't just some crusty old thing from one story back in 1973 or something. 
they are actually around a lot and yet still fly under the radar. They're very curious like that. Yeah, they really do, and we will explore that. Rob, personal views. Do you like them? Are they a favourite monster of yours? Where, where do they sit for you? Yeah, look, weirdly, like the Cybermen, they've never really worked for me on TV that much. There are things I like about their TV appearances. We'll get to that. I, I tend to like them more as an idea than than what we see on TV. It's almost like people don't know what to do with them once they've pulled them out of the toy box. Like, okay, here's the Sontarans. What do we do? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they do some experiments or invade or oh, I don't know. So they're, they're very unusual to me in that way as well. Yeah, I'm a big fan of their stories. I think they've got some really good stories right across the canon. I think that the individual characters are often more interesting than the race. And we'll be looking at that certainly in their first couple of stories in a moment. A question that I'm going to be asking us both as we move through this episode is something you alluded to just then as well. And that is, do they ever live up to that concept of the species and of the monster that you just read out in from that encyclopedia? And I'll leave that now as an open-ended question. Mm, I, I have an answer for it, but it's going to take us a while to get there. Yep, yep, good, good. <laughs> well, well, let's let's get started then. Obviously, we, we said they have four big appearances in the classic era. The Time Warrior and Lynx. Mm. I'll, I'll kick us off here, Rob, and just yeah, say please. this is an example of what I was just talking about, where the character of Lynx rises above the fact that he is just a Sontaran from the planet Sontar. That, that is a memorable character that is really put together by a costume, a mask, and an actor, Kevin Lindsay, that really brings out a lot, but backed up by Robert Holmes, who's clearly having a lot of fun with the script, mm. and he's throwing in a lot of nice details, that stuff about the probic vent, um, the stuff about them being clones. He doesn't understand gender and, and, and sexual diversity. Um, even the lines about, you know, he, he comes from a high-gravity high planet, so his muscles are designed for load-bearing rather than leverage. That's completely relevant to the plot. Mm. But you feel as though you've got a real character and a real alien in here, and I think that works really well in a fun story. Rob, your thoughts? Yeah, look, Lynx seems very capable and potentially deadly. You know, I, I think he's great in that way, and as you say, there's that wonderful Holmes dialogue. Although he still falls into that children's TV sort of trap where he doesn't end up acting incredibly realistically. I mean, Dave, he doesn't need to make friends with the guys at the castle. You know, his hired help he's bringing in from the 20th century. He could mow down everyone at the castle and just get on with things and not be asking about, you know, making robots for them and stuff like that. But the type of TV it is means he has to be doing those things. So I like the idea of him and I like what he's capable of. But in practice, he doesn't quite strike me as acting like he, he should or could or could or should. So a couple of points in reply to that, because I did note as well that the script writer and or the production team were clearly not confident enough in the Sontaran that they thought he could carry the show himself. And therefore they bring in Iron Gron and they bring in Blood Axe and they have that all there. Uh, I actually really like that though, because I think it does make him feel like a real warrior in that he's trapped on earth for presumably several weeks and he's got to get his help and fix his spaceship and he's obviously bored and so he thinks well you know i'll just have a bit of fun with the local natives and watch them slaughter each other because hey there's nothing else to do on a friday night 
That's a good way of looking at it. I think I've just been reading too much Warhammer 40k where people just shoot each other in the face all the time. And, you know, yeah. move on. <laughs> well, that's, that's true. But he also gets, as well as the memorable cliffhanger at the end of part one where he takes his helmet off and you know, it's a wonderful image, the cliffhanger at the end of part three is actually that subversion of the thing where the baddie always has an excuse not to shoot the doctor. And on this one, Lynx is like, okay, Doctor, do what I tell you or, you know, I'm going to kill you. And the Doctor says, well, I'm not going to do what you like. And then Lynx says, okay, I'll kill you then. And, and actually goes for it. And was Sarah not there, would have killed the Doctor. And, and I just think that adds an extra level of seriousness and deadliness to them. Oh, yeah. Like I began, he, he seems very capable and, and potentially quite deadly. I, I do like the character. I just wish it played out a little differently as all. Well. Fair enough. And of course, he comes with a whole lot of baggage. You know, we get the Sontaran armor, we get the Sontaran spaceship, uh, which was all conveniently put into storage so that when they needed to do a very cheap story next season, they could. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's the Sontaran experiment. Uh, Rob, do you want to kick us off on this one? Yeah, this is probably the, the Sontaran I was most familiar with as a kid, you know, thanks to repeats and such. And also being a shorter story, it tended to be one that I'd pull out from time to time more than others. The plot, though, of this story isn't much. I guess that's the, the case with most two-parters. But conversely, the length papers over any sort of cracks because it sort of starts and ends, you know, in 50 minutes, and that's a good thing. Uh, and I guess the tie into Ark in Space makes it feel a bit bigger than it is, maybe. It just feels like a sort of a continuation of that story, which is a great story. Yeah, yeah. Nevertheless, it's another example of Sontarans being used for not very much. You know, when you sit down and analyse it, it's a, it's a guy in a field, he's talking to his marshal who's somewhere else. There's not much to it. No, it, it is another example of this phenomenon of this clone-produced species of millions, and we get one. Um, yeah. But what interests me is that clearly Kevin Lindsay... Uh, was engaging on the set, and, and the production team admired his performance as much as we do. He, he doesn't just get to come back in Planet of the Spiders as part of the John Pertwee's Best Mates cast for that, that <laughs> send-off. So obviously he got on well with them there, but when they're introducing Tom Baker after, what was at the time, a record-long stint as the Doctor by John Pertwee, that first season, you know, you get the unit story that's very familiar and comfortable. You mm. get a Dalek story. You get a Cyberman story, very clearly trying to make the audience feel comfortable. And the fact that the Sontarans are brought back in that mix does suggest that the production team, A, likes Kevin Lindsay. Yep, sure, absolutely. The costume and, and the spaceship and the materials are there, so it's cheap. Mm. Although they did redesign the mask. I want to talk about that in a moment. Yeah. But they clearly thought they were a big enough hit with the general public for them to be part part of this whole easing Tom Baker into the role and familiarising himself with the public. So clearly, contemporaneously, the Sontarans were making a mark. Easing him into the role by breaking his collarbone, I think he did on that story, Dave. <laughs> on his first day of location filming or something, wasn't it? Oh, could you imagine? Yeah, he genuinely thought he was going to lose his job. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, the look is interesting because... The dialogue clearly makes it implicit that we are meant to assume that every Sontaran we meet looks exactly the same, hmm. um, despite the fact that he looks nothing like Lynx. Did, did, you, did you buy that as a viewer, or were you just sort of like, what? Look, look, as a very young viewer, I don't think I cared, but the more I'd sit down and think, they're clones. Well, they sh shouldn't they look more similar? Yeah, it did annoy me a bit, but... Generally, though, it didn't annoy me that much. 
you know, as I think back on it, you know, by the time you get to say two doctors and there's two of them running around, they look different to each other. I didn't really care. They're even no. different heights. No, no. Well, that's, that's right. That's right. Um, and, and look, I think from a production point of view, we know that Kevin Lindsay had heart problems. And so giving him a much lighter and easier to wear mask was important. Mm. I like that Styre is so ruthless. And I think if anything we can take away from these first couple of stories, it is again that the Sontarans are deadly, they are ruthless, they are not only willing to kill, they quite enjoy killing. Uh, there is a real sadistic quality to Steyer. And I think that does cement these as a credible and worthy and dangerous monster that, that starts to elevate them beyond just a couple of appearances. Yeah, I do agree with that. We should mention quickly that Although we don't get a uh, Sontaran story straight away, we do a couple of seasons later get a mention of their enemy, the Rutans. Yes. I'll, I'll be very brief here, Dave. I've just jotted down here, Fang Rock is a bloody classic. Uh, <laughs> you know, what else can you say? Although the Rutan is a bit of a letdown. Uh, look, I like the Rutan. I think the voice is very good. I think it's really interesting and it shows the relationship between Robert Holmes as creator of the Sontarans and Terrence Dixon as the creator of the Rutans that... Terrence Dix did say, oh, I'm going to give my mate's monster an enemy. I'm going to actually bring his enemy to life. He'd mentioned the runes before, and I like the thinking that if the Sontarans are these big, solid, muscle-bound bipeds, let's make the Rutans this amorphous, jelly-like fish. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that's a really good contrast. So I, I like that. Okay. Well, we, won't, we won't hang around on Fang Rock, though. We'll move on to uh, Invasion of Time, eh? We shall, where the Sontarans... I don't know whether to say that this is an epic appearance or not. Because in the big season finale six-part story, they're only in two episodes. Now, their appearance, as in that cliffhanger of part four, is surely a top ten cliffhanger mm-hmm. in the history of the classic series. Yeah, look, Dave, my, my notes here, I've jotted down, this is probably up there as the best Sontaran story in classic Who... Because they're actually doing what Sontarans are meant to do. They're they're attacking something. They're going for the big prize. There's there's more than one of them on screen. You know, there there are aspects of this story that shoot it down. Maybe we'll talk about those in a moment. But for me, this is probably the best of their appearances in Classic Who. I think it is certainly the one that most lives up to the premise. And the fact that the Sontarans... Okay, they're only in two episodes, but I think those two episodes are epic. Because there are swarms of them, or at least as many swarms as a 1970s Doctor Who budget allows. <laughs> but, you know, they, they successfully invade Gallifrey. Yeah. They, they have a fleet out there of thousands of ships. They get inside the TARDIS and, and, and are a genuine threat to the Doctor. This is a very successful outing for them, I think, certainly in terms of what they're able to achieve. And the Doctor has to go to extraordinary lengths mythical lengths if you like to actually get rid of the Sontarans once they've conquered Gallifrey it, it's a big deal that perhaps and you know I hate to criticise Classic Who's budget but I don't think the production team's quite up to the concept on this one what do you reckon? Oh well look I, I've made a note of that bloody run they do through the TARDIS particularly <laughs> I, I laugh even as I'm about to describe particularly where that Sontaran does the little skip across the corner of the pool like oh look at me I'm awesome I'm jumping over the pool and then he gets to that sort of lawn chair <laughs> falls <laughs> over it completely <laughs> and they don't do a retake 
<laughs> yeah, look, actually, that's a very cool bit, little stunt. I actually do like it, although it is hilarious. Um, as, as is the bit where the Sontaran backs into the sort of the giant plant and the Doctor shakes its hand. You know, that, that's a bit of comedy gold. I don't think it's the best thing for the Sontaran's <laughs> integrity, though. But yeah, so look, there, there are moments like that. The early episodes of the story, too, are quite confusing, where we don't know what the Doctor's doing, and then we've got Vardens, and we've got Sontarans, you know. So there are aspects of the story that sort of shoot it in the foot as well. But in terms of the Sontarans themselves, for the episodes they're in, how they act, I do think this is super. I think this is good. Fans criticise their appearance here, and particularly the way that Store, the commander, is played. I've never actually had a problem or particularly noticed the, in inverted commas, Cockney accent. Uh, maybe because we're not sort of as attuned to that as Australian viewers. Rob, did, did you notice it? Not at the time, no. But when people have mentioned it in years since, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Yep, okay, I hear it now. And and again, it shouldn't be there because they're clones. But I just go with it. Yeah, it's it's something that needed to be pointed out to me to notice. And, and I'm pretty forgiving about it. Yeah. Shall we move on? Yeah, give us our next appearance, Rob. Dave, we move on to a story I mentioned a moment ago, which is the two Doctors, where we have Stike and Val as the two Sontarans. I'll go first. I think these guys are sort of painted into a corner almost from the start, you know, because people are just talking about Androgums every two minutes in this story. It's like the Sontarans are sort of, you know, just pushed off to the side. One thing I do like about it, however, and we'll get onto this when we talk New Who, is here how uh, big and tough they're shown to be. I mean, Stike gets messed up by sort of an exploding acid bomb, and then he gets super messed up by the time capsule, but he staggers on with that green goo dripping off him. And it's it's not so much the green goo that interests me. That's very 80s Doctor Who, the green goo. Yeah. It's, it's just the way this guy is going to fight. Here he's fighting against the environment rather than an enemy, but he just keeps going. And that, to me, is scary. He's like the bad Terminator in Terminator 2. I, I love that. You know, I, I find this a very Sontaran thing to be doing, the way he's just had everything thrown in his face, quite literally, and he's just still going to smash everybody. He's, he's just powering on. I, I love that. So it's a shame that they're otherwise not very integral or, or interesting in the story. Yeah, I have a very mixed bunch of thoughts about the Sontarans in The Two Doctors. It's worth noting that, of course, this was written by Robert Holmes, the first time he comes back to write for them since he created Links in The, the Time Warrior. Mm. And he had the sad intention of wanting to use them properly because he didn't feel they'd been done justice in their other stories, which is interesting. I like their first appearance in terms of that scene in the scanner room, the guy spots the Sontaran ships and it's like oh my god Sontarans are coming that big really cool Sontaran theme now if you're a fan and you know what a Sontaran is that's a <gasps> the Sontarans if mm. you're not and you're just a casual viewer it's like well these are being built up this is really cool they they take the station they wipe out the station they're, they're very big baddies they've got fleets they're at war they're a really big deal I think it's a shame then that the depiction of them is probably in terms of the look the weakest of probably anywhere in the series, classic or new. They're bigger than they should be. They they are a little bit sort of more gangly and, and 
you know, sort of strutting around easily than they should be. And the fact that the masks haven't been stapled to the collars, like obviously haven't been stapled to the collars. Mm. And there are scenes where Stike bends over Patrick Troughton and, and you can see the edges of the mask. Like, like it's just such a stupid and lazy production decision to make that I think is really unfortunate. As is, as you said, they, they get this big introduction and then they're just playing second fiddle to Jackal and Pierce and Shockeye. And let's face it, if you're going to be overshadowed by anybody, Jackal and Pierce and, and Shockeye, wow, you got you haven't got a chance. No, that's right. Uh, eventually, uh, Stike just ends up being a leg that gets used as almost a comedy prop. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a shame because I think that opening for them is really really good, and Holmes is hinting at that big picture stuff. But the individuals, yeah, I, I, I just think they come off really weak. Like by the time you got Patrick Trouton's back and Fraser's back and Andrew Gums and Destari and Time Travel and Spain and all oh, the Sontarans are there as well. well. Well, we're sort of over them. Let's move on. Yeah. Oh, look, there, there are there are so many messy elements of that story. Like when Colin Baker lands on the space station, there's still smoke coming off one of the walls where lasers have hit it. And they say, oh, look, there's just been a battle. You can smell it in the air. At other times, they say the battle happened 10 to 12 days ago, and yet Fraser Hines as Jamie has gone almost feral. And I think, which is the right timeline here? Has the battle just happened? Is it 10 days old, or is it, is it longer than that? It's it's a very confusingly written story in places. Yeah, there was a lot of rewriting on that one, and a lot of elements. I mean, famously, Holmes hated doing those shopping list stories, and yeah, I think it all isn't as good as it could have been. Mm. That said, though, because they had the actors and the costumes lying about, hmm. when Jim will fix it, said we want to do a Doctor Who thing and give young Gareth, is it? Gareth Jenkins, I think. Gareth Jenkins, that's it, yes. When young Gareth Jenkins wanted to appear in Doctor Who and J&T said to Eric Saywood, quick, write a story, use what we've got in the cupboard. <laughs> um, well, you know, they had Stike and Val in the cupboard, so we got to fix with Sontarans. Yeah, and look, I think this is a really charming thing and while I'm tempted to talk more about how I think Tegan would have gone really well with the Colin Baker Doctor, because I think she does. <laughs> quick, uh, quick agree, yes. Uh, or the comedy naming of the Sontarans. We've got Group Marshal Nathan and Turner uh, as, the t- <laughs> as the two Sontarans. Or indeed talk about how this is a banned sort of clip these days because, you know, Jimmy Savile's in it. You know, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. actually deleted off DVDs and things. You know, I've got it on my DVD, but the, the newer DVDs don't have it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess just to talk... Sontarans, there's really not much to it. They're just there to be defeated by Gareth in five minutes and, and melt away on the floor into green goo. That's the end. Yeah, look, it, it is, but I guess whilst we sort of joke that they're there because, okay, the costumes were around because they were filming the two Doctors, they are worthy enough for a general audience of saying, this is Doctor Who and these are a quintessential Doctor Who monster. Mm, agree and can I just say if I was given a prop gun like Gareth is at the end of the segment I'd be a little more excited than he is he just sort of stares with dead eyes into the distance (laughs) those guns are pretty cool although I I do like their wand guns I must admit yeah true Uh, now I want to mention a bit here Rob the wilderness years because The Sontarans are one of, I think, the unsung heroes of the Wilderness Years. Uh, in the same way that John Pert, we did a lot of work, along with the others, but particularly Pert, we've really sort of been the ambassador for the show and 
coming coming along and turning up. The Sontarans do a lot as well. Partly, I guess, because people wanted to use them. Partly, let's face it, because of copyright reasons. You know, the Daleks were and the Cybermen were too expensive. You couldn't get the copyright. Mm. Uh, you couldn't make the costumes. So suddenly, the Sontarans are really filling that void. And well, certainly, their biggest outing was the shakedown um, made for video film. Rob, have you seen it? I have not. You're, you're really? flying solo here. Dave. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> li- listeners, for those who don't know, uh, 1994 w- was the height of these sort of professional in, in a production sense, but um, fan-made in that they're not official BBC-sanctioned, Doctor Who, in inverted commas, but not with copyright problems, production. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you get Doctor Who actors and Doctor Who things to come along and make stuff that's kind of like Doctor Who, but nobody says the words because, you know, lawyers. Yes, <laughs> I think comfortably the best of these was the shakedown, you know, made for video movie. It was put together by Kevin Davies. It was written by Terence Dix. Uh, Mark Ayres was doing the music and the sound effects. Um, it was filled properly on the HMS Belfast. It had Sophie Aldred, Carol Ann Ford, Brian Croucher and Jan Chapel from Blake Seven, uh, Michael Wisher, and it had the Sontarans. It's a and who's who of Doctor Who. It, it really is. Like, this is as close to professionally made Doctor Who as we get in the wilderness years, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they were able to get the Sontarans, I think partly because the estate was happy to use it, partly because Terence Dix was doing the script, so he was able to say to the Holmes estate, hey, you know, you can trust me. And the Sontarans are redesigned here because they didn't have the copyright to use their old costumes. But they're really, really effective. They're, they're small again. They're stout. They've got these very sort of metallic material costumes. They take over the ship when they invade in seconds. They're really, really effective. They do have this wonderful interplay where the commander's a very serious Sontaran and his lieutenant's a little bit thick, uh, which is really kind of fun. But, but they're very deadly. Um, there's a moment when they kill Sophie Aldred's character's boyfriend in a really callous and ruthless way. They're fighting a Routon, so they're, they're, they're there to catch a Routon. And it, it's it's really, really a good use of them. And it is one of the flagships of the wilderness year. So I, I think it's on YouTube. It's worth checking out. It's only an hour. It, it, it's quite good. And it did lead to being novelised as part of The New Adventures, which is a very good book. And I, again, written by Terence Dix, and I enjoy. And that really goes into a lot more of the Sontarans and the way the New Adventures would sort of, you know, how the Sontaran scouts are thinking and how they're strategizing and how they're working with each other. That's really, really interesting. And David McGinty did a tie-in missing adventure, Lords of the Storm, uh, set during the Davison era, which is also a really, really good book. And, and both of them really take the Sontarans in a much more detailed place than the TV series did and were, you know, big deals at the time. You know, I can mm. remember it being announced. The Sontarans are coming back in these books. Something I think you have seen, though, Rob, is more than 30 years in the TARDIS. Oh, yes. Originally 30 years in the TARDIS, then more than 30 years in the TARDIS. Wonderful, wonderful documentary, you know, in general. It, it is. And I think we just need to mention in passing that one of the things that is used to tie that documentary together is a Sontaran. Yeah, it is. And, and and a reasonably well done one too, considering this is a tiny budgeted, almost a fan-made, well, it is a fan-made sort of documentary, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's it's very, very cheap, but he gets to play alongside Elizabeth Sladen, which was really cool. Yeah, Elizabeth Sladen, her daughter when she was very young. Uh, Sadie, yes. Sadie, it's just, it's a wonderful documentary. And I'm, I'm so glad it was released on DVD. Check it out, people, if you've not seen it, it's, it's worth it. 
yeah, it, it is really, really nice. But yeah, yes, the Santarans get to be a key, again, alongside a Dalek and a Cyberman, a key thing that threads through that documentary and holds it together. Mm. Um, and I wanted to give a very quick mention as well to, at a similar time in the wilderness years, the DWM comic Pure Blood, mm-hmm. which does feature the Sontarans. And the conceit here is that the Rutons have actually discovered a long-lost colony of pre-clone era Sontarans. And oh. so they're the Sontarans before they've had to start fighting the Rutans and turn themselves into a clone race and, and be made for war. And so they are Pure Blood Sontarans, as the title of the comic says. And do, how do they... they... Do they have relations with each other? How do, how do they breed? It doesn't go into that level of detail oh. in, uh, in Doctor okay. Magazine, Rob, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how they interact then and how they respond to meeting modern era Sontarans is kind of the premise of that comic. And that's actually a really interesting and enjoyable story. And another example of just how the Sontarans just kept the show ticking along at a time when it wasn't being made. I like the sound of that. Of course, it brings us to the new series, though. And and I mentioned earlier, the Santarans really arguably only have one real appearance in New Who to date, despite being so well known in New Who. And that's the Santaran Stratagem and Poison Sky episodes during the Tenet era. I'll take lead here, Dave, and say, you know, although to me these are the midget comedy Santarans, we can talk about that in a minute, I think this is their best TV outing period across classic and new who because there's an interesting plot and here we go i said i'd mention this at the start of the show here finally loads of Santarans, or at least the sense that there's loads of them i'm actually surprised when we look at the rest of new who how badly they've been used after this because i think this was a very decent first outing in new who for Santarans, aside from the fact they're midget comedy Santarans. Look, I don't think I can argue with any of that. Mm-hmm. I think after bringing the Daleks back and it being incredibly successful, bringing the Cybermen back and it being contestable, I think, how well that was done. Mm-hmm. The Sontarans, I think, are definitely a much stronger one. They are, again, very well depicted. As you say, there are thousands of them. They've got big, cool spaceships. They're successful in their invasion until the Doctor comes along. They are dangerous. They are deadly. They look good. And it's a very good story. And, you know, when you first said it's their best outing out of the whole series, my first reaction was, no, it's not. Mm. And then I thought, what's better? Mm. And, and, I can't, and I can't give you an answer <laughs> to that. So I think you probably are right. Yeah, look, I, I gave it some thought. And, and quite honestly, that's my honest opinion on this. Can we talk about them becoming midgets, though, Dave? Because I have this argument with people all the time. I say Sontarans were always really bulky sort of blokes. They might not have been, you know, six foot five guys, but they were always pretty solid and stocky. You watch the Time Warrior, he's almost as tall as all the other characters in the show. You look at the still photos, he's almost as tall as Pertwee, albeit with the helmet on. You know, to go to this miniature sort of size in New Who, I don't like. I don't have a problem with it. You are right that they are, in the original series, stocky. They're not midgets. They are short and stocky, but they are still, let's face it, they are Kevin Lindsay's height. And Kevin Lindsay was a, you know, within the, the gamut of a normal-sized man. Yes. I kind of like the idea, though, that perhaps the classic series would have done it if they could have done it. And, and this is kind of really taking them to a level that the technology allows. M- much like when the Daleks suddenly, you know, the, the mid-six section of the Daleks swivels around independently and we can see them flying so much more naturally. You know, they would have done that in the classic series, but they couldn't afford to. 
I, I think this is just a logical, logical extension of what the budget allows. Mm, I just think, though, when it's teamed up with the comedy aspects, it just makes them a little silly. No, I, I think that it, it lulls people into a false sense of security. It is that thing of, oh, look at those things, they're midges, they're silly, oh my god, they just shot me. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Now, Dave, I mentioned that this is only basically their only real outing in New Who, yet there's a ton of cameos and sort of spin-offs that happen after this. Uh, yeah, yes, Rob, so look, there are a number of cameos and mentions in the next few years. Uh, Turn Left has that moment in the parallel universe, if you like, where the Doctor's dead, where the Sontaran stratagem and the Poison Sky are mentioned, and the Sontaran's plan, it said, is, is foiled by Torchwood, and Jack Harkness is captured by them, and, you know, that that's a big deal. Mm. Um, in The Stolen Earth, it's revealed that the teleportation technology that Unity is using has been actually stolen from the Sontarans. It's left mm-hmm. over from their first appearance. Yep. And I think perhaps the more interesting... We do get a survivor of the Poison Sky, Commander Karg, who does appear in The Last Sontaran in the Sarah Jane Adventures, which is a really fun episode that, again, kind of goes back to the roots of the Sontarans and, and just has a lot of fun with Sarah. And then in the return appearance of Karg in Enemy of the Bane, the Brigadier. Uh, that's the episode that Nicholas Courtney appeared in just before he died, in fact, where they do kind of enjoy this premise of one Sontaran and Sarah and the Brigadier. And they're really fun adventures. Yeah, I've I've seen neither of those. I've seen very little Sarah Jane adventures. I know there are probably half our listeners out there switching off in disgust at hearing that. Um, one day I'm going to have to sit down and actually watch them properly. Um, I just haven't seen them. Yeah, I've skipped in and out of them. And, and given that there was a Sontaran, given there was Nick Courtney, these were ones I made a point of watching. Yeah, they, they do them really well. And I think it again shows that where the individual Sontaran character is interesting and good and well played, it really does elevate the race in a significant way. Mm. Now, these cameos and mentions uh, keep coming, Dave. In the End of Time Part 2, uh, Tenant's Finale, there's a Sontaran sniper played by Dan Starkey, who, who will come up quite a bit in a moment, and he's trying to kill... Um, Mickey and Martha, who are now husband and wife. That's right, I forgot about that one, yes. Yeah, but the Doctor defeats them. It's part of that never-ending epilogue. The the long goodbye, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, there are Sontaran battle fleets in the the Series 5 finale, which is the Pandorica Opens. You know, all the Doctor's enemies show up. There are Sontarans there as well. Then we get to Series 6, and this is where things get interesting, because in A Good Man Goes to War, we're introduced to the character of Strax, who is a Sontaran nurse. I don't think he originally starts as a nurse, but he he is a nurse at this point where we meet him. He then teams up with the Doctor and his allies, which means he meets Madame Vaster and Jenny. He then becomes part of the Paternoster gang and subsequently turns up in many episodes like The Snowman, Crimson Horror, Name of the Doctor and Deep Breath, if I have them all correct. Yeah, so look, let's have the Strax conversation because that's an important part of any Sontaran <laughs> conversation. Strax conversation. Why does that have inverted commas around it, Dave? <laughs> uh, look, look, I, I, because I think that he is a controversial character in mm. in, in Doctor Who amongst fandom. Yeah. So look, you talk about sacrifices I make for the podcast. I actually watched A Good Man Goes to War on the weekend. <laughs> yes. Um, that is a mess of a story, let me say. Absolute mm. mess of a story. But I was really pleasantly surprised about how effective and how much I enjoyed Strax in that episode. Because 
in that story, he actually has a defined character, a defined character arc that works really, really well. He's found on the battlefield where the Doctor has made him, as an atonement for something we don't know about, made him become a nurse. You know, it is that sort of Greek tragedy punishment where the the great warrior, the great killer, mm. has to become a healer as, as his punishment, which is a really neat idea. He comes along with the Doctor. And then you sort of get these moments of actually genuinely quite funny comedy where he's now mixing his medical language with his military language. And that, that leads to some quite good gags and some quite good moments. But he still feels like a very capable, very dangerous Sontaran warrior. He supports the Doctor. He has a role. Uh, he is then killed. And as he dies, he says, no, I am a nurse, and kind of embraces that part of him. And so that makes a nice little character arc. And I thought, okay, maybe I've underestimated Strax. Mm. I then went and flicked through sort of various scenes from some of his other appearances. And no, because once he comes back, he is a bumbling idiot. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and, and look, there, there is a line that I'd forgotten where they say, oh, as part of the process of bringing him back to life, maybe, you know, he, he didn't come back quite, you know, proper or, you know, he's a bit thick or something. But he is just a comedy relief in most of those episodes. Now, sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. And to give you an example, I watched the first part of Name of the Doctor. I, I watched it as far as I could before I gave up. Because mm. that's a really bad episode. Yeah. In the cold open, there's that bit where Strax has gone to Glasgow on his weekend off to get into bar fights. Now, yeah. as part of a kind of a fun, where's all our characters cold open, that's a really cool, funny moment. And, and that's really appropriate. And I like that. But about 10 minutes later, you get to the scene where they're all in that vision they're all sort of unconscious and they're in that telepathic vision together mm. and jenny thinks that someone's broken into the house and she's about to be killed and strax gets the line speak up boy and you know he's doing this whole oh he can't tell men from women thing which has now become i think a, a, an overworn trope mm. about strax and in a in a heart of real tension and real danger where you know a semi-regular character has been killed to have comedy relief strax in there being comedy relief totally undermines the episode and the character yeah yeah i agree with that because i actually quite like the jenny character and i remember not liking that at the time not not at all yeah it it really reminds me of something that happens in a lot of tv shows um, i think zathras from babylon 5 is a really good example where a character comes in for a show they have a character that works extremely well in that episode Clearly the actor delivers, clearly the actor gets on very well with the production team. And Dan Starkey is a very capable actor and he clearly did hit it off with the production team. So they bring him back a number of times. Yeah. But removed from that initial appearance, that initial rationale for existing, never quite works the same way again. And I think that is the problem with Strax. Conceding that probably for some viewers, and particularly younger viewers, he would be a really funny and interesting character... I just don't think comedy release on Taran works again mm. and again and again in Doctor Who. Um, I, I've given a lot of comments there, Rob. Over to you. Yeah, look, completely agree. And I'll just say, I think it comes down to, to Moffat loves to write comedy. He loves to write comedy into everything he does. You know, so you can see where that, that's coming from. And he, he just can't resist some of the stuff he gets Strax to do. But it's to the show's detriment as, as time goes on. I, I, I don't like it at all. And, and look, probably the, probably the nadir of, of the Strax character, and yes, it was a late intro, but the medical examination scene in Deep Breath is... I, I watched that again for this. I was sort of skipping through the various Strax scenes for this. 
And that medical examination scene is just puerile. Mm. It's really, really bad. I thought I was going to come here to completely smash tracks, but look, huge points to him for his first appearance. That was really, really good. It's, it's the subsequent ones that just don't work. Yeah, and don't worry, listeners, we'll have some positive comments coming up on Strax in a moment. Okay. Uh, but, but first, uh, to just to round out uh, Sontaran mentions in New Who, uh, a troop of Sontarans is shown among Trenzalore's invaders in the 2013 Christmas special, uh, The Time of the Doctor, and a Sontaran does appear briefly in Face the Raven as a refugee in that uh, little side street they've got where people go yes, to hang that, out. Yeah, that's a really nice touch, I think. I, re- I remember seeing that and thinking that was a really cool touch. Yeah. So uh, across the new series, again, only one real story, a, a double, a two-parter, then just lots of mentions and Strax appearing in, in stories that aren't really Sontaran stories. But it's just spread Sontarans and the idea of them throughout New Who. Every New Who fan knows Sontarans. It, it, you're right. They are very, very important. And I think it's because, in part, you could put anybody into the costume, but also because the Sontarans are still characters in a way that the Daleks and the Cybermen simply aren't. So you can have a lone Sontaran, you can have a renegade Sontaran, you can have a refugee Sontaran, you can have a funny Sontaran, you have a serious Sontaran. You can do those things that you just couldn't do with a Dalek or Cybermen, even though they're a more well-known monster. Mm. Now, moving away from the show to something we haven't discussed and something we really can't discuss, because neither you or I, Dave, have listened to a lot of Big Finish, particularly Big Finish featuring Sontarans, I think that's fair to say. Yes. So uh, I reached out to Dwayne Bunny, friend of the show, who does the Sirens of Audio podcast. And if you're into Big Finish, this is a podcast you should really be listening to. Oh, absolutely. Dwayne has wonderful thoughts on Big Finish and a lot of really great guests as well. So listen to him and Philip Edney and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. I got him to pen a few words, Dave. Shall I read these out about Big Finish? No, please. That, that's, I think, a very important contribution. Yeah, I thought so too because I knew we didn't have much to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on Sontarans in Big Finish, Dwayne says, It's difficult to talk about Sontarans in Big Finish because generally I love Big Finish. But what this format allows is to be able to tell stories from earlier in the Doctor's history. For example, example, the Sontarans is the story of the first time the first Doctor encounters them. That's a great story. But more recently, we have the ongoing story of the Paternoster Gang, where our Sontaran nurse Strax, played by Dan Starkey, continues to hit his performance out of the park. His comic timing is perfect. It would have been great to have Strax at some point coming up against another or some other Sontarans. I don't know if we'll get Strax again on TV, so if you want more of him or any other number of original Sontaran stories, Big Finish is the way to go. Like the Cybermen, I like this part, Dave, like the Cybermen, the Sontarans are more often than not served less well on screen than we imagine they should be. The audio medium allows them to shine as they should. I think that's a really good point because audio, of course, is the medium in which you can have a million Sontarans and it doesn't cost you anything. Mm. Um, So that's really interesting. I didn't know that there was a Sontaran First Doctor story. Um, That's one I will make a point of checking out. So thank you, Joanne, for the recommendation. Um, And and yeah, look, I can imagine Strax in a Paternoster gang story where the, the, the tone and the vibe is designed around them actually working far better than being sort of inserted into Doctor Who, which, you know, depending on your opinion, his vibe may or may not quite gel. Yeah, I think when you're watching Doctor Who, there's an expectation we're there for Doctor Who. (laughs) We're not there for Strax to be an ass, you know, in some side story. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. 
So, look, thank you again, Dwayne. That is that is really great. And we'll also hear from Dwayne's uh, co-host, Philip, later in the episode. So, look, we've covered all of the Sontarans' appearances. Um, I, I guess there are two questions we need to ask. One is to answer the question we posed at the start about whether they have lived up to their premise. And the other is, I think, how do we feel about them now and do we want them back? And if so, how? Which of those would you like to tackle first, Rob? Oh, look, let's start with if they've lived up to their premise. Did they? I'm going to say not often enough. Yeah, that's... I wanted to say no, but it was with qualifications, and I think that qualification is not often enough. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. With, you with, I'm with you there. Yeah, that, there are some wonderful Sontaran characters, and there are some good attempts to have an army of mass clones. I don't think that they ever quite get there well, and they certainly don't get there consistently. You're right, Poison Skies and Time Stratagem is the best of them. Oh, it's just got so much to it. You know, I, I think the plot around, you know, the devices in the cars is very good. I think cloning Martha Jones is very good. Unit is shown as sort of the uh, the nasty sort of side of Unit. That's not as good, but you, know, you can't have everything. Look, look, I, I have long, long thoughts about the new series depiction of Unit, and I won't open that can of worms this, this episode. <laughs> Um, but, but, but yes, uh, look, look. I think you're right. I think it's a very good depiction of them, and it, the budget does help. I mean, I mean, let's face it: in original Doctor Who, in classic Doctor Who, when you see in a script the line "Army of Millions," you know that's not going to happen. Mm. It's going to be "Army of Four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Walking through the same door a few times. So, look, I'll, I'll perhaps take the question of. Do we want to see them back? And, and, yeah. and look, I definitely would like to see them back. I would like to see the Rutans introduced into New Who. I think that would be very, very cool. And, and I think that modern CGI would allow you to do them really, really well. I want to see the Sontarans somewhere out there in the galaxy. Not on Earth, not on Gallifrey, not on uh, future Earth, anything like that. Mm. I want to see big Sontaran battle fleets out in the galaxy in a real space opera sort of thing. That That's my wish for the Sontarans. Okay. Uh, my answer is yes, I'd like to see them back if they can be done well. I know we're probably stuck with this dwarf sort of size because they won't want to go back to normal size, but the overt comedy could be toned down for starters. It's, it's hard, well, for me at least, it's hard to feel tension or to have drama if some potato was getting around barking orders and acting like General Melchett in Blackadder, you know, which is kind of, you know, kind of how they act. Um, you just want one, don't you, Dave, to, to come on and break someone's jaw and shoot someone else in the face and say, okay, bitches, who wants to dance? You know, you, 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 you just want that. You just, you just want to say, oh, crap, here's some peril. This guy's really bad, you know. When it's done just for comedy, it's really hard to get wrapped up in it, at least for me. My mind starts to wander, and I think, why are we even bothering? So, you know, yes, give them a new lease of life, but as long as it's just that, something new. Yeah, and I think that's why going out into space would be very effective, because at the end of the day, the Sontarans can't conquer the planet Earth, and they, they can't conquer the planet Gallifrey either, but they can conquer the planet Zog. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and certainly them fighting Rutans is something that outside of Shakedown, the show just hasn't done and I think could. Mm. 
Well, let's go to our listeners now on Suntarans. How about we tic-tac back and forth on these, Dave? Because we've got a lot of comments. Absolutely. Should you kick us off, Rob? All right. This one is from uh, Dave Young, who wrote us a fairly long email about Suntarans. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm just going to cherry pick one paragraph from it because you also have an email, a separate email at the end of the show. So, you know, we can't make this the Dave Young show. Um, (laughs) Dave says on Suntarans, can they return? Oh, this is good. This is tying into what we were talking about. Can they return? I think yes, but it will need to be a reboot back to the past. We have seen this happen with the Cybermen at the close of the Capaldi era and in the last series that they can be a menacing threat. Think the same thing can be done of the Sontarans, but they need to be that original, harsh, brutal force we first met and there must be an end to the comedy. Yeah, look, I broadly agree with that. Yeah, look, fair enough. Uh, Another piece that came in via Facebook from Ian McArdle. Thanks for writing in. As much as I enjoyed Dan Starkey's performance as Strax, that's an interesting qualifier. I wonder where this is going to go. <laughs> as much as I enjoyed Dan Starkey's performance as Strax, are they now done with the role of villains and stuck with the role of comic relief forever? Do we need a Sontaran episode like we had Dalek to re-establish them as a credible threat? Ooh. Another thought. In terms of the 70s and 80s, I don't think they ever bettered the Time Warrior. Diminishing returns after that. It seemed as though they got progressively taller and less threatening. Agreed. <laughs> that said, I'd like them in The Two Doctors, even if they play second fiddle to the sublime Shasini and the grotesque Shockeye. Agree with everything you said there, Ian. Yeah, good comments. Moving on to Philip Edney from uh, Sirens of Audio. He says, Robert Holmes created a marvellous race that allowed for deeper and deeper exploration. Lynx is so morally ambivalent about the consequences of his actions on others by supplying totally inappropriate weapons, and Steyer only cares about the mission. Our first true sociopaths. Wow. Yeah, look, I, I think that comment about Steyer is really good. I like that. Yeah. Uh, a comment here from a friend of the podcast from the Diddly Dumb podcast, Hayden Gribble. And congratulations, Hayden, on some recent good news. Those who know will know. Mm-hmm. But Congratulations. Uh, And he says, never really taken to them. As an iconic villain race, they are probably at the bottom of my list. Can't say any of their stories are classics either. Ooh. Tough call. Yeah, look, I I disagree. I enjoy their stories. Are any of them out-and-out classics, though, the way a lot of Dalek and Cyberman ones are? Yeah, maybe not. I I don't think there are classics in that list. Mm. Invasion of Time gets talked about a lot. Maybe not as a classic, but maybe just as a big sort of story yeah yeah that, that's true so um no look don't agree with you there hayden but but no interesting perspective and um mm. I, I think that is perhaps another reason why they sort of aren't universally thought of as that number three villain yeah and maybe two doctors gets pulled out a bit because you know hey it's got patrick troughton in it but again that's because it's got patrick troughton not yeah. the Sontarans. yeah <laughs> Moving on to Millie McKenzie at Cowbear Creates. This is Millie McKenzie, of course, listeners, who is creating all those wonderful figurines you're seeing us retweet on Twitter. So check those out when you can. Millie says, Lynx and Steyer are great creations. Their mask is creepy and kind of gross with that tongue and tufts of hair. Their character, brutal and unfeeling. The remainder of classic Sontarans leave me wanting. Modern ones are quite bland somehow, although I love Strax as a fun character. You see, Strax has got fans. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. it's kind of like 50-50 as far as I see, Dave. I reckon it really is, and I think it makes it a very interesting proposition. Mm. Uh, from the All of Time and Space and Nerdology podcast, Mark Cockrum, who says, Hi, Robin David. 
The first Sontaran story I can recall would be The Two Doctors, which coincided with our family getting a shiny new piece of technology called a VHS recorder. Ask your grandparents, kids. <laughs> and as a consequence, the 12-year-old me watched this story on heavy rotation. I thought Stike and Val were worthy adversaries for the Doctors, and their demise was a particularly memorable moment from season 22. Young me must have been suitably impressed by them, as the first pre-recorded Doctor Who tape I bought was The Time Warrior. Oh. I think that they're incredibly menacing as an adversary in the classic series, which reaches its zenith in the Sontaran experiment, where they're just flat-out sadistic. And the impact of their cliffhanger appearance in The Invasion of Time was, in my opinion, a standout moment from that era of the show. Let's gloss over the dodgy Cockney accents and the Sun Lounger-related mishaps. <laughs> I'm glad we've mentioned both of those already. Yeah, we've given those a context, yeah. I enjoy Dan Starkey's Strax as a comedy sidekick, but I'm afraid the new series version has never really worked for me. Even before the decision to make them a source of comic relief... I just found them a little underwhelming in comparison to the more lauded returning monsters. Thanks for letting me ramble on, and I look forward to hearing your two-hour Nyman extravaganza next month. <laughs> Cheers, Mark. Oh, yeah. Uh, coming never. Um... Oh, I don't know. I reckon the Horns of Nyman special will be fun one day. Maybe maybe it's a Christmas special. Yeah, all right. <laughs> maybe not then. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, moving on. Oscar Groucho, uh, tweeting at Oscar Groucho's, says, I feel that their definitive episode is yet to be written. Perhaps an allegory of the sheer horror of warfare, a generation of warriors bred to die, and it's an utter tragedy that we never got Brian Blessed as the Sontar King. <laughs> what How about a wonderful that? idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I, I think that Oscar's kind of in tune with what we said earlier, that they've never perhaps quite reached their full potential. Mm, agree. Jeff Waddle says via Facebook. Apart from the initial appearance of Lynx, they, like so many other returning villains, have been a diminishing success. He wasn't in the slightest comedic. Neither was Steyer, come to think of it. But I found all the experiments a bit too pervy. But after that, <laughs> forget it. To the extent we now have a full comedy relief one in Strax, when the whole point of them should be that they are thoroughly warlike. Great concept for a villain, but has been too watered down from its original concept. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, echoing some of our thoughts there. And um, yeah, look, it really is breaking 50-50 on Strax, I think. Yeah, it really is. The, this tweet is from Shaney, who tweets at Shaneoid77. One of the more well-rounded of the Doctor Who monsters, I think, their code sets them apart from generic villain motivations. I'd recommend the first Sontaran story from Big Finish as it tucks into the potato heads nicely. Thumbs up. And finally, for listener comments on the Sontarans, Citizen 23 Voter 87, or at Paul Toey Jr., he says, I remember first watching them with Pertwee and thought they were horrifying. I liked how their actual heads were developed in the new series, but missed the original suits. I also think they get a good backstory, as added when we see them again with Tennant. Well, there you go. So, another vote for New Who Sontarans. Uh, yeah, look, I think a genuine range of uh, mixed thoughts, but some things coming through there. But need to note that the Sontarans really motivated people to write in. I think that's a record for us. Yeah, yeah, look, we, we only went out uh, with the call on social media about 48 hours ago and, <laughs> and we got all of those responses. I, I was blown away by that, frankly. They're a villain and a monster that I think people have strong opinions on. 
Yeah, to use a football analogy, they're the team that always finishes about ninth or tenth on the ladder. They're never up the top, but they're never down the bottom. So Richmond. <laughs> Very good. A team neither of us support, so we can say that. They're the, the Richmond Suntarans. <laughs> Very good. Now, to close up the show, Dave, we also have emails from uh, several listeners, so we'll crack through these as well on more uh, uh, varied topics than just Sontarans. I'll go first. This is from David Young, who gave us a Sontaran comment earlier. Dear Robin Dave, it's been a little while since I read in on a topic and have meant to all through lockdown, but although in some ways we've had lots of time, it has also passed very quickly. Funny business time, as someone once said. <laughs> I vividly remember two things about the Eccleston years. Okay, so this is a comment on our Eccleston episode. Firstly, getting my two-year-old daughter into bed with stories, etc., whilst keeping one eye on the clock for the start of the Rose episode. Secondly, sitting behind a desk as a teacher at a parents' evening at a school I was quickly falling out of love with and doodling a Dalek on, a, on the top of a piece of paper. <laughs> That's quite funny. Uh, I was an actor before entering education and I was suddenly hit by a thought which I found myself writing down under the Dalek. How great must it be to be Christopher Eccleston at this moment? The Pretty public, damn great. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're all thinking that, if not writing it down on pieces of paper. Um, the publicity, the series about to launch, the thrill of being the actor who is bringing back such an iconic character for so many. I would have died for the chance to do that rather than what I was doing at the time. Well, as it seems now, he was not really enjoying particularly all of the above. But what a great doctor. It could have gone so wrong, but it was so right. Just a great shame we didn't get a second season of The Ninth. My wife, Kath, was not a particular fan of the show, and it humoured me somewhat when she had seen my vast collection of merchandise. But the reboot did appeal to her, and I think she could see, to an extent, why I love the show so much. Personal favourite episodes, The Final Two-Parter and Dalek. Would love to see Rob Shearman write again for the series. And on that note, may I recommend his current epic trilogy of books, We All Hear Stories in the Dark. Unlike any kind of books you will have read before. A masterpiece. Loving the show, as always, from David Young. Thanks, David. That's some really good advice. And something that just occurred to me then, Rob, about the Sontarans, mm -hmm. even though they're the big old series villain coming back for season four, unlike the first three, they're not deemed worthy of the two-part finale are they no no you're quite right yeah interesting yeah uh an email here from dave clark the david show i think i'm at the moment that's <laughs> good <is. laughs> hiya guys really enjoyed your ninth doctor show it was great to see the show back and i've got to say christopher eccleston was fantastic mm. i was surprised you didn't mention the new tardis interior which in my opinion has been the best since the show returned um yep oversight on our part yes agree it was also, guys, update on watching the classic series. I'm up to Tom Baker now and The Face of Evil. My wife is really happy because that's her doctor, and we have also been watching Space 1999. But I'm sorry, Dave, she will not watch Blake 7, so that will be just me. <laughs> um, look, do send us a, a note on your thoughts on Space 999, because I have very bad memories, but haven't watched it for 20-something years, so um, maybe I need to. Mm. One final thing. The animation of Lost Stories, I think, is a brilliant idea, especially being the grandfather, young, of five grandsons. They are more inclined to watch a cartoon than live action. And if that makes them fans of the best sci-fi show, all well and good. Anyway, keep safe, guys. Dave Clark. Good perspective there. Yeah, it's something that hadn't occurred to me. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Kids enjoying animation and... Oh, yeah. 
Ooh, I might have to borrow some kids. <laughs> Here, kids, watch this. What do you think? Uh, and one more, Rob. Yes. Okay, finally. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to have things to say about this, Dave. Hi, guys. This is from Peter Deadman. I'll, I'll say up front. Hi, guys. Something you might find interesting, and he's given us a link to a uh, article in The Guardian where 50,000 people have voted on their favourite doctor. And uh, Peter Deadman says, The results are a mix of surprise and unsurprising. I'll run through these quickly, Dave. 1 through 13. Tennant, Whitaker. Capaldi, Matt Smith, Tom Baker, Hartnell, McGann, Eccleston, Pertwee, Troughton, McCoy, Colin Baker, Davo. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Peter goes on. Poor Davo, though, left at the bottom below Colin Baker. Anyway, I thought it was interesting to see a somewhat widespread of people's opinions. Looking forward to your next show. The Sontarans have a lot of potential as a militaristic alternative to the Daleks and Cybermen, but are rarely used to their full potential. Cheers from Peter Deadman. Shall I go go here, Dave? <laughs> Look, I've got some uh, thoughts as somebody who reads polls as part of his living, but yeah, Rob, you kick us off. Yeah. I, look, uh, Davo in last position, you know, television's Peter Davison. You know, this is, this is crazy stuff. Uh, although, more seriously, and I wonder if you'll agree with this, I think there's likely a situation out there where Davo is, is quite warmly regarded by many people, and I'm, I'm not being silly now by any means, um, I think I think this is actually right. I think he's quite well liked, but he might be everyone's third or fourth favorite doctor. But he's not the vital. He's my number one doctor, <laughs> and I think that's that's where he falls down in a poll like this. Yeah. Anyway, that's my thoughts. Well, well, look, perhaps let me ease your mind a little bit, Rob, because when I, I looked at this, I looked at it through the lens of someone who looks at a lot of polls, mm. and frankly, given margin of error and everything, everything from seven down, so from McGann down, they're all three percent or under. And frankly, that's just junk. You know, margin of error, they could really be in any order. Davison lost to Baker by eight votes out of 50,000. That's a statistical irrelevance. So, Mm. you know, you can't sit there and go Davison's last. What this is, though, is kind of really obvious. Tennant and Jodie Whittaker poll equal first at 21%. Well, Tennant is by far the most famous and successful of the modern Doctors. He's the face of modern Doctor Who. And Jodie Whittaker is the current Doctor Who. So obviously they're the top two. Uh, It then basically descends into the Doctor before that, Peter Capaldi. Then the Doctor before that, Matt Smith. So again, the more familiar, the more recent, the more well-known. Tom Baker's in fifth spot with 8% because he's the one that all the people who grew up with classic Doctor Who remember as the best one. And Mm. look, I think Hartnell in sixth on 4% just outside the margin of error. He's having a bit of a renaissance and a bit of a resurgence as people discover his era, and, and I think that's wonderful. But there is nothing in this poll that surprises me. You know, this is basically just name recognition. Agree, agree. I, I just, just hurts to see him down there, Dave. Just hurts. No, I understand. <laughs> Look, uh, we probably need to wrap up. We, we've gone over time, but we tend to do this with our big specials. What have we been watching this past month, Dave? Uh, I've obviously been watching Des. I have been getting into series two of The Boys, which is one of those series where the first time you watch it, it just blows you away. As, you know, I haven't seen this on television before. It's one of those sort of series. And I was kind of worried that series two would not live up to that because you can't capture that again. But they've gone in a completely unexpected direction to what I was thinking of. And so that that has been really enjoyable. The Mandalorian Season 2 is out very soon. High School Musical, the musical, the series is also out um, again with the second series very soon. And my 
DVD of the complete set of Executive Stress, the 1980s BBC sitcom that I'm keen to watch again, arrived today, so I'll be watching that. Very, very nice. Briefly, I've watched The Devil All the Time on Netflix. That's a movie with Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson, among others. Is that any good? Well, think hillbilly gothic and you're, you're on the way. It reminded me very much of a Tarantino film in the way that it spins up and you don't even realise it at the time, it spins up several different stories which all sort of tie together in the end. But it's very ugly, it's often violent, okay. uh, and, and it's not happy. If, if you're out there and in COVID isolation and you're wanting something happy, do not watch this. But I found it very watchable. If, you, if you're up for something ugly, violent, not happy, yeah, give that a crack. It's, it's down south, it's hillbilly gothic, it's, it's very interesting. Okay. Uh, also, I've been watching Cobra Kai. Now that that's on Netflix, that's just a joy. To anyone who watched the original Karate Kid film, this just picks it up and runs with it. You know, where are those characters today? It's dramatic. It's funny. It's well written. It's it's quite amazing for what was originally just a YouTube series. Can't say enough good things about it. Series three coming soon. And finally, I'm also watching the Granada television series. I've told you this, Dave, of Sherlock Holmes. With the uh, absolute definitive Holmes of all time, Jeremy Brett. All hail Jeremy Brett. He is awesome. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm not particularly a Sherlock Holmes fan, but I do know that that series is very well regarded. So, uh, mm. yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah. Um, a quick note from me, Rob. Um, I was asked recently to guest on Mark Cockrum and Ian Martin's new podcast, All of Time and Space, and they're doing a big great journey through all of Doctor Who and they were very kind and asked me to guest on their episode about Marco Polo so that podcast is well worth checking out um, and the episode that features me should be out this weekend or thereabouts uh, but they've had some other great guests as well you know getting a modern series Dalek operator to be their guest for the episode about the Daleks was mm. very cool um, so yeah check them out yeah I, I think very much like Dwayne's uh, Big Finish show uh, Mark and Ian are getting some great guests on there and it'll be a joy to look back once they're finally done the whole series to look back on all these episodes they've uh, they've they've done once they do them of course rob what are we talking about next month dave we're going to look at a season of doctor who that i know uh, many of our listeners are keen for us to look at and it's one i think we're going to have a lot of fun looking at too it's uh near the tail end of classic who it's season 25 yes when we last put a poll up this was the runner-up for the series that you the listeners wanted us to talk about and we basically wanted to talk about it so we're doing it yes Yes, we are. <laughs> we are. So send us your thoughts about season 25. We're going to be watching those over the next few weeks. And then we'll be back at the end of October. Yeah, that's going to be no hardship at all. No, looking forward to that one. All righty then. Hope you've enjoyed our Sontarans episode. Hope you've got something out of it. But until next time, when we talk season 25, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. 
This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who. Thank you.